William Cowper has written the familiar hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. That man said these words, Satan trembles when he sees even the weakest saint upon their knees. Let me say those words again. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon their knees. There is no better time for us as the church of Jesus Christ to be on our knees. I'm so grateful for Pastor Carter Conlon, who is calling the church around the country and around the world to prayer. In fact, I would even challenge you to even read his book, It's Time to Pray, this year. I would get It's Time to Pray and maybe even the 260 Journey that that focuses on word and prayer. But I want to challenge you today that there's no better place for us to be than on our knees as the church. In fact, let's pray right now. Father, may the Holy Spirit just direct these next few moments. May you challenge every individual, challenge churches, challenge leadership around the country, around the city, and even around the world, that God, that you would find us, you would find us to be a praying church. In Jesus' name, amen. It was the great 19th century English preacher, Samuel Chadwick, who was right when he said the words, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears, Satan fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion, I'll even say prayerless preaching, and he laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but Satan trembles when we pray. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that God uses a church that begins to pray. And I'm grateful that we are on that journey, even as a, as a church here at Times Square, to really begin to lock into prayer going into this new year. I love this prayer from one of Amy Carmichael's books, I Come Quietly to Meet You. She was the pioneer for fighting child sex trafficking at the turn of the century. And she wrote these words in her journal. My father, as if I'm the only one in your universe, you meet with me. Forgive me, listen to this, forgive me the days I thought that meeting with you was insignificant compared to all that I had to do that day. Wow, that is so powerful because there are days that I have even experienced that, that I have allowed I've allowed things of the day to crowd out my time with God. I wanna show you a man in the Bible that experienced the power of prayer, but couldn't find a way to value prayer. He thought it was insignificant, like Amy Carmichael said. In fact, his name was Asa, and Asa was one of the kings of Israel. I use the Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan every year. Started it this year. In fact, I'm doing that and the 260 journey as I'm reading through the Bible this year. And as I was reading, I was coming to the end of the Bible reading program for 2020, and it ends with 2 Chronicles and the book of Malachi. And I came across that king named Asa, And really, I felt that God began to speak to me. And I felt like God began to challenge me and said, you trust me on the big things, but you're not trusting me on the small things. And I don't want you to be like Asa. Big and small, I felt God was speaking to me. He was saying, I want to be part of it all in your life. Really, the big point that God was sharing with me is bring everything every day to God in prayer. I believe God wants to be in on everything you deal with, you face, and you walk through. He wants to be involved in all parts of our lives. And Asa is the picture of the Christian who needs God only when he decides. He's the one who controls when God is gonna be involved in the situation. Because God showed up in the time he needed him most, Asa thinks he decides 
when God should be involved in his life. Here's Asa's story. Second Chronicles chapter 14, he trusts God big. Second Chronicles 16, he didn't trust God for the small. Asa is about to face what is considered to be the largest army ever numbered in the Bible. Many times the Bible will be um, even picturesque and say these armies that Israel faced are like the sands of the sea, but not on this one. This one tells you the number in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 9. Listen to these words. Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and Asa went out to meet him. Asa is about to face a million-man army. The Bible clearly spells out that number, and his best defense was to call upon God. I heard one man say this, he who kneels before God can stand before anyone. That's where Asa was. Listen to the rest of the story. Then Asa called to the Lord his God. This is is Asa kneeling so he could stand. Asa called on the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. That's what the Spirit of God leads him to pray that. And then he says these words, So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you. And in your name we have come out against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. That is such a powerful prayer. He kneels so he can stand. That's the challenge for all of us. I love this prayer. Here's the prayer. Lord, there's no one besides you to help between the powerful and those who have no strength, so help us. I love what Max Lucado said. He began to challenge the church with these words. The power of prayer is not in the one who prays, but in the one who hears it. That's the challenge. That's where Asa was. He realized it wasn't him. It was the God who heard it. What's the result of Asa even praying this? I want to give it to you. It's powerful. Right after he prays this prayer, It doesn't take but one verse, and it says this, so the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Did you get those words? So the Lord routed the Ethiopians. Asa saw what prayer can do, that a kneeling man can stand before a million-man army. That's why Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th-century preacher from England, said it like this, true prayer is measured by weight and not by length. These are only a sentence and a half that he prays to rout a million-man army. Spurgeon goes on to say, a single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than an oration of great length. That is so true. That's why I want to challenge you every single Tuesday night to join us. Join with Pastor Carter Conlon on our Tuesday night prayer meetings, on the worldwide prayer meeting here. People join in from all over the world. Submit their prayer requests. You can even do that now going to our website and submitting a prayer request. And those prayer requests come across the screen and saints from here and around the world start to pray. And for some, I want you to keep in mind, it's measured, true prayer is measured by weight, not by length. That as those those prayers go across the screen, a whisper to God, can literally change someone's life. That's why, like Max Lucado said, the power of prayer is not in the one who prays, but in the one who hears that prayer. The big, the big ask for Asa was against the million-man army. Now, in the middle of his life comes the small 
opportunity to ask God, to involve God in his life. Not long after the second, the, the first army comes, the second army comes, and that's Second Chronicles chapter 16. See, the first army that came against Asa was Zerah and the Ethiopians. That's the million-man army. But the second army that came against Asa was Baasha of Israel. Let me read it to you. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 16. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming into Asa, king of Judah. Now listen, Asa knew how to pray. He saw God deliver him from a million-man army, and now another army comes. And here's what's amazing. I would think that I know what should come next, that maybe it should say, Asa prayed, Asa, Asa called upon God. But this is what happens. Instead of prayer, Asa has a plan. It's dangerous. Here is, here is what it says. In the 36th year, let me read it again, Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, came against Judah, fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming into Asa, king of Judah. Now get ready for this. Instead of prayer, then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Benadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, listen to this in verse three, let there be a treaty between you and me and between my father and your father, Behold, I've sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Benadad listened to the king of King Asa and sent to the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. They conquered Ijen, Dan, Abelmaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Baasha heard of it, he ceased fortifying Ramah, stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah they carried away the stones of Ramah, its timber, with which Baasha had been building, and with them he fortified Geba at Mizpah. This is amazing, that he makes a deal with the king instead of crying out to God. Asa gives money to Benadad to help him against Israel, and it worked. And, and, it, and it brought success, but I want to say something that's really important. Just because something works doesn't mean it's God. Just because something seems to bring a, a, a sort of success doesn't mean that's what God wanted you to do. Because a prophet shows up during the celebration and speaks about how God feels about the win. Let me read from the, from the paraphrase, the message about what comes next. These words are powerful. Just after that, the deal, not praying, but planning, not seeking God, but now just coming up with a strategy instead of prayer. The man that knew how to kneel so he could stand before a million men now is about to hear from a prophet. Just after that, the win, the win, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said, because you went for help to the king of Aram and didn't ask God for help, you've lost the victory over the army of the king of Aram. Didn't the Ethiopians and Libyans come against you with superior forces, completely outclassing you with their chariots and cavalry? But you asked God for help and he gave you the victory. Listen to verse nine. God is always on the alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to him. You were foolish to go for human help when you could have had God's help. Wow, just think of those words again. You were foolish to go for human help when you could have had God's help. Now you're in trouble one round after another. 
It was a reliance and a trust issue. He could trust God for big, but not for small. He trusted money to fix a situation and he didn't trust God. And his life ended that way tragically. Listen to the end of Asa's life. It says this, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. You're gonna watch how it goes from a million man army to a smaller army and even to his own health. His disease was severe, yet look look at this man's testimony, his life, his message. Yet, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. That's the man that kneels so he could stand. He didn't seek the Lord, but he sought for the physicians. He didn't seek God, but he sought man. Asa died because he did not know how to bring everything to God. Asa thought money could buy his way out of battles and sickness. I, I wanna speak to you just for a few moments on how important this is going into 2020, on why this message is something that I want us all to be challenged with as we step into this new year, out of 2020 and into 2021. Let me just give you a couple thoughts. First, let me start with a question. Do you only have an Ethiopian relationship with God? Now, let me explain that. What does that mean? It means I pray when I have no other alternative. How how do I know if I'm doing that, Pastor Tim? Here it is. Do you pray for God to give you wisdom or do you just simply pray for God to solve your problems? That's, That's a big deal. That's really what distinguishes if I have kind of that Ethiopian relationship with God. That Ethiopian relationship has nothing to do with Ethiopia now. It has everything to do with what Asa faced, that we only pray for the million-man army, but when we're faced with sickness, when we just we want to quickly go to a doctor or faced with a smaller battle, we quickly try to buy our way out of it. See, here's what's crazy. I believe we have a lot of problems because we didn't ask for wisdom in the first place. Let me say that again. We have a lot of problems because we don't ask for wisdom in the first place. I really believe Asa wouldn't have died the way he did if he just simply would have asked God for wisdom, asked God for his help in every area of his life. The great Baptist preacher Vance Havner said it like this, if you lack knowledge, go to school. If you lack wisdom, get on your knees. See, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not simply to be wise. Many men know a great deal and all the greater fools for it. But to know how to use knowledge rightly, that's wisdom. Let me me give you an example of this. God wants you to have wisdom for making the second most important decision of your life. Think about this. The second most important decision that anyone can make in life. First is choosing Jesus to be the savior of your life, to be born again. The second most is who you spend the rest of your life with here, choosing a mate, choosing a spouse. Because I think people need wisdom and they just don't need a fix for a problem. People, sometimes if if we're wanting to fix loneliness, we're gonna end up in a dangerous situation. That's why I heard someone say before, um, I would need wisdom to make sure to ask, is he Mr. Right or just simply Mr. Right now? See, James 1.5 says it like this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives it to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. Another version says it like this. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to your father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask. Those are important words. In fact, when the Bible uses the words without reproach 
or won't be condescended to. Let me tell you what, what, what the writer James was saying. He was saying it means God will never chastise you for bringing something small to him. Can I just help you to remember something? Listen, with God, every problem is small. In our minds, it's big and it's small. With God, everything's small because he's God. And that's why I always want you to remember, when there's no prayer, then there's no wisdom. We need to ask God. I don't want a relationship with God that just says, fix my problem. I want a God that just gives me wisdom, that I walk with him every single day. Number two, in every situation, start with God, not with what you got. And then go to God and say, here's what I got. Let me try to fix it. Don't count on stuff. Count on God. See, Asa's stuff was he had money and he had doctors, but he couldn't fix it. See, you and I may have resources, but we don't have every resource. Asa thought cash and doctors could fix this situation. I think that's why Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, when you preach and preach to the people in your church, that has means, he says, teach those who are rich. First Timothy 6, 17. This is Paul telling a young pastor, teach those who are rich, who have resources, are rich in this world, not to be proud and not trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Look at this. This is him teaching people to get on their knees. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need. That's what he was trying to tell a church there. That's what we're learning from Asa's life. That's what we all need to learn, starting with myself. See, I'm learning more and more that the Christian fight is an air battle. And when I say that, I mean prayer. It's an air battle. The enemy wants you to stay on the ground while he controls prince of the power of the air. I was reading something interesting that says that the eagle doesn't fight the serpent on the ground. That when there's a war, when an eagle's trying to come and is being attacked by a snake, it picks up the snake and changes the geography, changes the battle geography. It'll grab the snake with its talons now and brings the snake up to its realm, to its geography. And up in the air, the snake has no stamina, no power, no balance. It becomes useless and weak and even vulnerable, unlike on the ground where it becomes wise, deadly, and powerful against the eagle. That's why I want to challenge you. We need to be, learn how to take our fight into the spiritual realm, how to take our fight up into the heavenlies, into prayer, that when I'm in a fight, I need to get up to the spiritual realm where God begins then at that mo moment to take over the battles. I don't want to fight the enemy on the ground. I want to change the geography of the battle place and be like the eagle and let God get me up to a new place, which is in the prayer place. See, when you don't or I don't bring every situation to God, big and small, that means we're not trusting God, but many times we're using God. And that's why I think there are people that God's challenging you to take the, the, what you're facing up to a new geography, to get it up in the air, to change the battle place. I, I believe that there are people listening to that. Maybe God has called you to the ministry, but maybe you're not trusting him for the next step. I, I, I'm, I'm so thankful that on Tuesday nights, our prayer meeting is coming. And this Tuesday night will be come from Summit International School of the Ministry, where Dr. Teresa Conlon begins to train the next generation. And maybe, maybe, 
God is not only calling you to ministry, but saying that's your next step. Your next step is to be trained at Summit. But what you're faced with is, is you're fighting this on the ground and looking at resources and looking at schedule and looking at what's happened and what co- the position COVID has put you in. And instead of taking this up in the air and going, God, let me ask you what you want me to do. I want to start with God and not simply with what I got. I want to start with his resources and not simply my resources. And that's why we always have to ask the question, is prayer a fire escape or is it a steering wheel? See, a fire escape gets me out of problems, but a steering wheel means I let God guide me. We all know how to pray when we have no resources, but God wants you to pray even if you have the money like Asa, even if you have the doctors, but we need to pray because we want to be in relationship. We want wisdom from God. When you bring Ethiopians and you bring Baasha and you bring diseased feet, then you cultivate relationship with God. It speaks, it sparks conversation. Listen, this is, this is so important for us. You may have a resource to stop something, but may not be able to fix something. That was the challenge for Asa. You can try to, you can stop it this one time. But Asa, if you don't learn to pray, if you don't learn to call upon God for everything, this whole thing is going to start to follow you the rest of your life. And it followed him all the way to the day he died. He never learned to bring everything to God. And therefore, when this disease came to his feet, he was looking for doctors, not looking to God. There are things you can stop, but you can't fix. Asa could stop Baasha, but it ended up ruining him because his money and his doctors couldn't begin to bring what he needed to come and find in his life the only source. And that was going to come from God himself. See, resources run out, but God doesn't run out of resources. I want to start with God in every situation. That means even if I have the money and even if I have the best doctors, I want to pray this, God, I trust you. You guide me. You are my resource. I need your wisdom every single day. And God knows there's some people that, that, that think whether we have resources or whether we have experience, we know what the next steps are. That's why I love the story in John 21, where the carpenter is telling the fishermen, listen, how to fish. The carpenter is telling the fishermen how to fish. And, and here's what I think they're saying. You know wood, but we know fish. That's what I think they were saying to Jesus. It's in John 21. They went out, got in the boat, this is right after the resurrection. This is resurrection Jesus that night and they caught nothing. And verse five, Jesus said to them, children, do you not have any fish? And they said to him, no. And he said to them, cast then the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch. So they cast and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Think about this. The carpenter is now telling the fishermen how to fish. That resurrected carpenter is now intruding on their expertise. That resurrected carpenter may be intruding upon you. You may be a financial planner. You may be a CEO. You may know how to control millions of dollars on Wall Street. You may be a prime minister. You may be an ambassador. You may try to bring peace and and even begin to, to lead peace talks. And I want to tell you something. There is nobody, there's nobody that can guide our lives and guide us all the way into eternity than that that resurrected carpenter. He was telling those fishermen, there may be a side that you never thought about. That's why I was saying, cast it on the right side. I know you think you're a professional. I know you have a degree, 
But the one thing that they forgot is that the carpenter made the fish and can tell the fish to swim right to that net. That's what they forgot. Maybe there is a side that you never thought about. Maybe there is a right side. And God is going, no, you need to cast on this side. And you've been relying upon your own experience, upon your own degrees, upon your own education, and forgot the one who made the fish, the one who made this world, the one who made you and me. Thinking, Think about it. I've talked with couples, and I'm thinking about this right after Christmas, that are praying for pregnancy, that are praying to start a family, and they just can't seem to start a family. They can't seem to get pregnant. And they have brought the whole battle to the ground. They've gone to the physicians. They have, they have tried every type of procedure to try to get pregnant, but have never brought it up to the sky and say, God, can you do this? See, people in the Bible that were barren were driven to prayer. They, they realized that that battle was up there. Even thinking about Elizabeth and, and Zechariah, thinking about what they faced, all the way back to Hannah, all, all over the Bible. Think about this. Instead of going to a physician, maybe God wants us to go to him. Why is this important, Pastor Tim? Because the Bible has all over it people that have taken barren wombs and brought the fight up into the air. Think about it. Elizabeth and Zacharias, Hannah and Elkanah, Sarah and Abraham, Rachel and Jacob, Isaac and Rebekah, Manoah's wife and, and the Shunammite woman, all of them. When you think about this, this is amazing. They saw something happen when they took the battle to the air and that's the challenge for the church today is we're trying to find ways to, to, to go into 2021 with a ground battle. And God goes, this is not on the ground. This is you taking it up. This is every day, not knowing what's ahead, to say, God, big and small, it all belongs to you. Big and small, take it all, Lord God. Don't let me be like Asa, who only finds that I call upon you when it's a million-man army. But if I'm dealing with disease, if I'm dealing with smaller battles, it all goes to you, God. The Apostle Paul finally says in Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, listen to these three words. Pray about everything. It goes on to say, tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Let me read those words again. Don't worry about anything, but instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. For all the big stuff that you face, God wants in. For the small stuff that you face, God wants in. And I wanna trust God and not just simply use him. When we do it without God, and stuff may get stopped, but it won't get fixed. And according to Philippians, when you leave out everything, that's when we use God and don't trust him. You trust his resources instead of the source. When you include what the Apostle Paul say in Philippians 4, 6, everything, then you trust God and involve God. And if God is involved, then the unexpected happens. When you pray about everything, this is a phrase I've used with a number of people. When you pray about everything, you really do become a candidate for a surprise from God. God can literally show up in unexpected places. See, when we pray, we remember three things. The love of God that wants the best for us, the wisdom of God that knows what's best for us, and the power of God that can accomplish it all. But I have to tell you, of any prayer you can pray, the biggest prayer you can pray is to involve God 
in your entire life. It's called being born again. It's the greatest prayer you could pray. That's the prayer where it all begins. And that's the prayer that God wants to hear right now. In fact, it's the most important prayer. It's the most important talk you can ever have with God. And it's literally us answering this question, have I been born again? And some of you will respond by saying, well, Pastor Tim, I was water baptized. I was raised in a religious home. I had my first communion. I was dedicated. I'm a good person. I want you to listen carefully for just a second. It's not what you do that gets you connected to God. It is a conversation. It is a prayer that you have to have with God. It is a born-again prayer that says, God, I need you to be in my life. I need you to change. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? See, that word born again is, is not a Times Square church word. We didn't make it up. It's not a religious word. It's a Jesus word. And Jesus says this in John 3, 3. No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And I believe when he says no man can see the kingdom of heaven, I believe that's here and I believe that's in eternity. I believe it's heaven coming down and eventually you going to heaven unless they're born again. In fact, Jesus said in John 3, 5, you must be born again. He, He doesn't even leave it open for being optional. And you may ask, well, Pastor Tim, how do I become born again? And I'll tell you every single time, it's as simple as ABC. What we would tell a young child growing up to try to simplify something, it's as simple as ABC. Each one of those letters stand for something. A stands for admitting that I'm a sinner. Realizing that I have to get honest with God, that I have a condition and it's called sin, sinfulness. It can't be fixed with a promise, a program, A pastor, I can't fix it. Not even a priest, nothing can fix it. We need help to fix it. I'm broken inside. And the condition is, and the diagnosis is called sin. And I have to admit it. I have to realize that's the diagnosis. It's sin. It's as one pastor said, he said, we're not mistakers in need of correction because people would like to call sin just simply a mistake. He said, but we're sinners in need of a savior. We don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. And that's when the Bible talks about John 3, 3 and John 3, 5. We have to be born again. Well, how do we fix it? That's the B word. That's believe. A, admitting I'm a sinner. B, believing that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition. I can't fix myself. If we could fix ourselves, then God putting his son through the suffering he went through would be the ultimate case of child abuse. If I could get myself to heaven by simply being good or going to church, then why would Jesus have had to come and die on the cross? He, he came and died the death that I was supposed to die as a penalty for my sins because Jesus became my sin bearer. So he dies the death I should have died, lived the life that I couldn't even live to please God and gave me a reward, heaven and forgiveness I didn't even deserve. And finally, the C word is confessing him as Lord. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. Do you think that Jesus dying on the cross, going through the pain and the suffering that he did, was simply to get Sundays, a time slot on Sundays for our life? His goal wasn't get you, simply to get you to church on Sunday. His goal was to get you to heaven for eternity and forever. And coming to church on Sunday If that's what you think this is, that just ends up being a religion. But being born again, that's a relationship. Because Christianity is not coming to a place, it's coming to a person. And when you confess him as Lord, you're saying, you're the boss now. You're in charge. You have veto rights over anything. If this is not part of your plan, I want to put my my trust in the hands of the carpenter. Just like those fishermen did on that boat when he said, cast it on the right side. 
And, and instead of trusting their experience, their degrees, or, or, or anything that they, that they have known to be true, they said, you're the, you're the resurrected Jesus. I trust you. That's when you say you're in charge of my life. And today, just as you've had a first birth, God wants to give you a second birth. Your first birth, for many of you, was in a hospital, but the second birth is what happens on the inside. Just as you have a, a birth date, today could be your born again, your second birth date. Well, Pastor Tim, how does this, how does this happen? I want you to pray a prayer. Remember how important prayer is. This is you asking God to come in. The most important prayer you can ever pray. And say, I want you to be part of my life. I want a relationship with you. Wherever you're at, I, I, I don't know where you're listening to this. You may be waiting for an airplane in an airport, maybe driving in a car. Maybe someone sent you a link to this. But wherever you are, maybe you're gonna pray it as a couple, maybe as a husband and wife, maybe your children, maybe the whole family, maybe just you in an apartment building. Wherever you're at, I wanna believe that God, today, this is gonna become your born again, your second birth date. Would you pray these prayer, prayer with me? I want you to pray this out loud. Come on, say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. You have made the greatest decision of your life. You decided today to be born again. And not only do we pray to invite God to take over our lives, but man, this is prayer that we could pray every day. We could pray to him every single day. That's where Asa missed it, the big and the small. God wants to be part of it all. I want you not only to join us on Tuesday nights to join the prayer meeting, but you don't even have to wait for Tuesday nights. You could talk to God right now because you have decided to make the best decision you can ever make, to have a relationship with God, to be born again. In fact, I want to ask you to do something for me. I, I want you just to take one more step, and I want you to text the word DECIDED, D-E-C-I-D-E-D. -E -E You're going to see it on the screen, to 88202. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to help you on your next step. That prayer that you prayed, if it came from the heart and you just go, God, I want you to change me from the inside out, you've made the greatest decision of your life. What we're gonna do is we're just gonna help you on this journey and help you on next steps. You decided to be born again. And today, this is your born again. This is your second birthday. You decided the right thing. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. 
Have a great week.